Okay, saints, uh, tonight, Exodus chapter 30, verses 11 through 16. So, um, last time we were looking at Exodus, we went through the altar of incense. Um, Next time we look at it, we'll go through the bronze laver. And so, we'll be looking again at those furnishings, those articles of furnishings that are there in the tabernacle and outside the tabernacle. And then we have this portion here in verse 11 through 16 that is inserted. And I find it interesting because there's a lot of times that people will look to this portion and, in a sense, question why it's here. Why is it, you know, located in between these two articles of furnishings? And, and the ones that say that it's out of place, it shouldn't be there, I think, in, are in error. But when you recognize and you come to believe that it should be there because the Holy Spirit has put it there then everything becomes super clear. But let's begin by reading through this. And, uh, um, but let's just simply just knit our hearts to the Lord. Father, we do thank you for this word. We thank you for what we're about to study and the incredible, incredible understanding of just what this offering, this ransom to you is. And so we ask that you would truly give us ears to hear what your spirit would speak to us, your church, that you would knit us to an understanding of just the grace, the atonement that we have um, through your son, Jesus Christ. And now we are all part of this incredible thing, the living stones, part of the body of the church. And and Father, just what that means um, to us and, and what this passage shows for us in that way. So simply knit our hearts to yours through this passage. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's begin by just simply reading through these um, verses, and then we'll just jump into our, our, our study. Exodus chapter 30, verse 11, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When you take a census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. And when you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. A half shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 geras. A half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. Everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich, verse 15, shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. When you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves, and you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel, and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle, that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. It's interesting that what we're seeing here is that they are to give this ransom money. And as we look to this, when you're taking a look at the whole of the scripture and you think, well, why are you giving ransom money? You have that passage in Isaiah chapter 55 as, as he goes and as he speaks forth this truth. He makes this statement in the first three verses, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk with money without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. 
Isaiah says, come and it isn't going to cost you anything. And I think that's kind of the, the whole understanding where even Peter makes that statement in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. He says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. So if Scripture teaches us that we're not redeemed with corruptible things, then why do we have this every man giving a ransom for himself? And, and I think it's important that what we see here is this. As we look to this, it, it makes this, this statement where in verse 16, you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it to the service of the tabernacle of meeting that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord. What we're seeing is this, in, in the context of what we're looking at, we're seeing here these are the people whom God has redeemed. And in a sense, what they're doing is they're giving this offering to the Lord, but more than that, what they're doing is they're literally allowing this to become a memorial that we'll see in just a little bit. So the context that we're looking at here in the book of Exodus, we're actually seeing, you know, when we look at this passage, it's important to say, well, should it be here? Should it not be here? And when you look at it in its context, we see that, yes, absolutely, it should be here. Because in the context of Exodus, um, God's people were in bitter bondage. We know that as the entirety of the book. And that, that he needed to redeem. And, and, and I think, you know, those that couldn't redeem themselves. And so when he redeemed the children of Israel, he redeemed them so that they could come and worship him. God had emancipated, he set the children of Israel free by the work of God alone. It was his work and only his work. And the, the last of the purchase was through the blood of a lamb. And so then the response that God declares are now the acts of the redeemed. And this is what Exodus goes on to say. What are the acts of the redeemed? How do you begin to um, come to me in worship? And so when we look at what the, 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 the passage is, of course, we go into further into Exodus, and then we get the commandments. And the commandments are, you know, you worship God, and then you, you by loving God, and then you love your neighbor. These are the things that we do. Now, when we come to this portion of the acts of the redeemed, we've been seeing here the tabernacle as God begins to define how this worship is set about. The first is the work of Jesus Christ as he comes to the earth. It starts with the Holy of Holies, works its way out to the bronze altar, which is, of course, the sacrifice, the blood. And as we look to that, it's important to recognize that then we come to this chapter in 30, where it's the altar of incense. And there is that altar of incense. We, we recognize that here you have that priest offering up the prayers to God. So in a sense, it's that ministry of the priest where the incense that's being burned are the prayers that are going up to the Lord. And then we see in verses 17... All the way to verse 21, we're going to be dealing with the, the bronze laver. This is where the washing takes place. And this is where that part of the, the, the ministry, the cleansing goes. And so we see again, that's that ministry of the, the priest. So the first part is this offering of prayers. And the priest goes to this point of cleansing. 
But in verses 11 through 16, what we see is not the ministry of the priest, but now we begin to see here, we look at the people who are identified with the service of the Lord. And that's what he begins to say. Remember now in verse 16, it said, and it shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting, that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord. This is all a part where this is God who is very clearly now in verse 11. Take a look at what it says. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. The Lord is the one who's speaking now. It's not Moses repeating it. God is the one who has declared it. So God is speaking to Moses. And as God is speaking to Moses, he's now speaking not only to Moses, but as Moses writes down, he's speaking to all of us, this ransom, this tax. And in order to understand what this tax is, I want to take you to a New Testament passage found in in Matthew chapter 17. In Matthew 17, there are just a couple of verses, and I think it's important that you understand where you see the New Testament, how where God had designed this temple tax to be simply a memorial for an institution. And of course, with all taxes, they just, once you start a tax, you're never going to stop it. So we see here in Matthew 17, verse 24, when they had come to Capernaum, those who had received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? So understand the taxes were still there. This was an annual thing that they had begun. And through that annual thing, they now come as the Lord and Peter are there in Capernaum. They come now to Peter and they ask, does your teacher not pay this temple tax? And he said, yes, yes, of course he does. And when he'd come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes from their sons or from strangers so it was just a question to say all right this is a temple tax this is for the king of the kings it's for god himself and so he asked this question he says who do the kings of the earth take taxes do they take it from their sons or they take it from strangers from those of the citizens of the kingdom and peter said from strangers and jesus said then the sons are free I want you to understand this point here. When Jesus makes this statement and he says the sons are free, what we understand is this, Old Testament, New Testament, this is the type Jesus speaks, the reality. As he says so, I want you to understand that when it came to atonement, atonement for us is free, it wasn't free for God. But here Jesus makes a statement, then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in the hook, take the fish that comes up first, and when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. So with that, I love what the Lord does is Peter here is kind of stressed. He tells him, go fishing. And not only does he say that the first fish is going to be 
you know, have money in this mouth, but I, I like the facts that he says, um, cast a hook and the fish that comes up first when you've opened his mouth. So hopefully what he's saying is you're going to cast it and get a second and get a third. And for any fisherman, you always want to catch more than one. I mean, one is a success and even going fishing is a success. But when you catch more than one, then the tripper is really worthwhile. But as we see here, I want you to understand one of the keys when it comes to this is that portion that Jesus says, the sons are free. So as we, the children of God, as we recognize our atonement, for us it didn't cost, but there is a principle that is established here within this census and within this ransom. Take a look at verse 12. This is the Lord now speaking to Moses. He said, when you take the census of the children of Israel... For their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. When you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. As we see here initially, we understand that there is a numbering that's going on. He says, Take a census of the children of Israel for their number. Now, this is where I think it's important to recognize because the reason for the census is because God is going to count every one that is his, those that he has redeemed. And, and so the only reason that is for this census is, is the reason not just to get the atonement money, it's this dedication, but it's an understanding that here what they're doing is they are stepping up and accounting themselves as I am part of the redeemed. I am part of what is God's. And so understand that the reason for this atonement money, it's more of a dedication. And so, in other words, you devote this half shekel to the tabernacle of service. And of course, that's back to verse 16. It says, you shall take the atonement money. They call it the ransom money, also the atonement money in verse 16. Of the children of Israel and shall appoint it to the service of the tabernacle. It's a dedication. But what happens is that each person is saying, I am a part of this dedication. I'm a part of that service of the tabernacle. And so you're, as, as we see here, you're devoting yourself to the service of, of this tabernacle, and as we as Christians, we devote ourselves to the service we put ourselves in as part of the this whole thing called the church. We're living stones within that framework. And so I want you to understand that here, when there's a numbering, that numbering in a sense is where you take ownership of it. In other words, think about it this way. When you ask a farmer how many head of cattle that he has, he knows how many head of cattle. And so he knows that, that you know, I have 50 head or I have 100 head or I have 200 head. Or, and he knows what are his. Now, you ask him how many head his neighbor has, he probably doesn't know. But he understands his. He doesn't count his neighbors. He counts himself. And he only does those that he owns. In the scriptures, over and over, God uses this term number to denote, in a sense, ownership or authority. There's a passage in one Psalm 147, verse 4, where 
um, the, the Lord really clearly speaks of that where it says this, he counts the number of the stars, he calls them all by name. So we recognize here that God does do numbering. And as he counts the stars, I've created them, I've named them, they're mine. Same kind of principle is found in Isaiah 65, verse 12, where uniquely God makes the statement, therefore I will number you for the sword and you shall bow down to the slaughter because when I called, you did not answer. So God is saying, I have authority over you in Isaiah 65, verse 12, where he says, I'm going to number you for the sword. And so those that didn't respond, God says, I'm still in authority over you, and I've counted you, I've numbered you, I'm the one who's in authority, you are mine. Same kind of thing found in the book of Daniel, chapter 5. And remember in verse 26, when there was that writing on the wall there for Belshazzar, and in verse 26 and number 5, it says, this is the interpretation of each word. Many, God has numbered your kingdom and has finished it. We recognize that when God says, I've numbered your kingdom, he says, I've put it under my authority. It's always been under my authority, but as I've numbered it, I'm telling you that it is under my authority. So when we take a look at this, this numbering is hugely important. As a matter of fact, the very fourth book of the Bible is called what? The book of Numbers, where there's a numbering before they, they enter the promised land, and then there's a promise, a numbering before, again, the, the, the second time where they come to the promised land. And so there's a numbering where God says each and every time, you are mine. And so Keep in mind that when you're included in this, this census that begins to happen here, you were included into a group that God says was his. And so understand that as we look to this, all of this was to be to the Lord, to the Lord. Look at the end of verse 13. It says, the half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. At the end of verse 15, uh, end of verse 14, it says, he shall give an offering to the Lord. At the end of verse 15, you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. All this now is an understanding that it's, it's God's. God is the one who's put me into this numbering. I'm responding to that numbering. And so we recognize that all these children of Israel that were here, they were not their own. They were God's. So as God calls them in verse 12, when you take a census of the children of Israel for their number, he's saying in a sense of these are those who are mine. I've redeemed them. And this is going to there be their response to the atonement that I've given, that I have redeemed them. And so it's just a, a beautiful thing to understand what God is doing and has done through this portion of scripture. Understand that these people have already been redeemed. There's a portion in Exodus chapter 15, verse 13. I just want to read it to you again, but remember when we were going through and after they'd gone through the Red Sea, there was this incredible worship song that was going on. And in verse 13 of Exodus 15, it says this, you in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. So these people are already redeemed, 
Scripture already says that. So this, this money here is not to purchase their redemption. It's to identify them as the redeemed. And to recognize as they're being numbered here, that now that they're being numbered, that this numbering means that, okay, we're not, they're not mine, they're God's. And so understand that there was this one time in Israel's history where David was actually tempted by the enemy to number the children of Israel. In other words, he was going to say, this army is mine, I own it. No, no, the children of Israel didn't own themselves. They were owned by a king. They were gods and only gods. And in this portion of, of 1 Chronicles chapter 21, I want to start reading in verse 1. And I'm actually going to read down to verse 18 so you can understand the full context of what's going on. But it begins this. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So Satan is the one who's standing up against Israel. Satan now moves David to number Israel. Verse 2, David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, Go, number Israel from Beersheba to Dan, and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. So David tells Joab, I'm going to go and number the children. I want to know where my army is. And Job answered, he says, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But my Lord the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? So Joab is now warning David, this is not a good idea, David. If you do this, Israel is going to be, this is going to be a cause of guilt. This is going to be a problem. Well, David does not back down. And so we see in verse 4, Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the number of the people to David. All Israel had 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. And Judah had 470,000 men who drew the sword. Now it's interesting to take a look at just how big Judah is. All of Israel, 1,100,000. And Judah had 470,000 men. So they were literally... You know, 45% out of all of the army was there of Judah. But it says this of Joab in verse 6, But he did not count Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab. Joab was thinking, if I leave some people out, maybe God won't judge us as harshly. Maybe if I give David a false number, you know, all the numbers to everybody else, maybe it will be okay. But verse 7 we understand that God was displeased, displeased with this thing. Therefore, he struck Israel. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done foolishly. David knows that now God is displeased. David knows that God is going to be um, dealing with him. And so we see in verse 9, the Lord spoke to Gad, the prophet, David's seer, saying, Go, tell David, saying, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Choose for yourself either three years of famine, 
three months to be defeated by your foes with the sword of your enemies overtaking you, or else for three days the sword of the Lord, the plague in the land with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now consider what answer I should take back to him who sent me. God gave David three choices. Now understand, there's not good, better, and best. There, 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 there's bad, worse, and worst. And so we see here that there isn't a winning answer. All three are horrible. And what David does so amazingly, so in such great wisdom, verse 13, David said to Gad, I'm in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. I'll trust God. Put me in the hands of God. Whatever God chooses, I'll trust him more than I trust the work of men. So verse 14, the Lord sent a plague upon Israel and 70,000 men of Israel fell. So he recognized that David's census is already off. I mean, it took just three days and already 70,000 men are no longer in that census. And verse 15, God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying, the Lord looked and relented of the disaster. And he said to the angel who was destroying, it's enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. Now this is incredible. For those of you that understand the fullness of scripture, this angel now is going to meet with David. This angel comes and David becomes aware of this angel. Verse 16, David lifted his eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, having his hand drawn, having having in his hand a drawn sword stretched over Jerusalem. So David and the elders clothed in sackcloth fell on their faces. And David said to God, Was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered? Am I the one? I am the one who sinned and and has done evil indeed. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, O Lord, my God, be against me and my father's house, but not against your people that they should be plagued. So we see David's response to his sin and his subjects being killed through this plague therefore verse 18 the angel of the lord commanded gad to say to david that david should go and erect an altar to the lord on the flesh threshing floor of ornan the jebusite now we recognize that this next part of this chapter here in in first chronicles 21 is all about david now purchasing this threshing floor but what is absolutely amazing is in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, it makes a statement. Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So this portion this property that David is being judged because he sought ownership of the children of Israel he said these are my armies and God says oh no they're not they are mine you are a steward of of me they're mine they're not yours and has got to judge David 
amazingly, in God's grace, he uses that judgment as this opportunity for David to purchase this plot of land that's going to be, even standing today, where the Temple Mount is. And so, absolutely incredible to see how the grace of God begins to flow through, through all of that. And now, there's, there's one other thing that I want you to see. So, in, in, back in our text in Exodus 30, verse 12, when you take a census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom. So at this point, God's saying, they're mine. I'm the one who's numbering them. I'm the one who's telling you to take the census. You don't do this on your own. I'm the one who's calling you to do so. And then it says this, that then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. We're going to see that this is here, this this atonement money that's going to come. Now, as we talked about, eventually this atonement money is going to be this yearly offering for the, 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 the tabernacle, for the temple. It's this temple tax that's there. And understand that here we begin to see that they were ransomed. They were purchased, and because they're ransomed, he says, this is what I want you to do as an offering, as a reminder. I want you to be at a place where you're reminded every year of this ransom that I did, of this purchase that I did. And I love it how Peter, you know, in his second epistle says, I do not cease to remind you of these things, even though you know of them. And I think reminders are hugely important. So this is what the Lord is doing. And so understand that with this atonement that we begin to see, as we look to this, I want to share with you just one little portion of it because within this ransom, now that term ransom, there in verse 12, you shall give a ransom, that term is kafar. The very first time that it's used in Scripture, absolutely amazingly, is actually found there in the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, chapter 6, verse 14, God says this, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover the inside and outside with pitch. That term pitch is that same word in the root that means kafar. It means to have a covering. And so you have this ransom. You have this covering. And when it comes to a ransom couple of verses I just want you to be aware of. The first is found in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It makes this statement where Jesus himself is speaking. He says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So when you understand what this ransom is, they were going to give a representative of their atonement calling it a ransom, calling it a covering, but our covering was done for us. Our covering was not our own. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6, he makes this beautiful statement where he says, speaking of, well, verse 5, he said, there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And then verse 6, he says, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So we recognize that this is the ransom. The ransom comes through Jesus Christ. And of course, Peter again, in his first epistle, chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, says, knowing that you were not redeemed 
with corruptible things like silver and gold. From your aimless conduct received by the traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So we recognize that our redemption didn't come through corruption. It didn't come through um, something that was of earth. It came through that which was eternal. And I think it's just so important for us to, to come to this place and to recognize that now we begin to see a little bit for the reason for this census. And, and basically, it's the only reason. Um, the reason for this atonement money is it is a dedication. And we're going to see this a little bit as we get down to verse 16, as far as what this dedication. And so what happening is this. It makes a statement in verse 16 that you're going to appoint it for the service of the tabernacle. And I think it's important that they become a part of what God is doing through the ministry of worship. And that's what's so important when we see that they're dedicating this. And so what we do is this. We dedicate ourselves to God. I dedicate what I do to God. I dedicate, you know, my... my Everything that I am, it's given over to God. You purchased me. I'm offering myself to you freely. I give myself to you because of the redemption that you've given me, the eternal life. And so we're God's. And so we see here that this is what what God is doing as he has this, this census going on. And then he goes on in this. In verse 12, he says, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give ransom for himself to the Lord. When you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Now, everyone who's numbered as far as God redeemed you from Egypt, and this is who they are, you've been redeemed from Egypt, count yourself as one of those who's been redeemed. If you choose not to give this representation of it, choose not to give this dedication, then God is going to say, fine, if you don't want to be identified with the redeemed, I'm going to give you the plagues. You choose what you want. Now, now David numbered, he got the plagues, and if they number themselves without the ransom money, they too will get the plagues when they get numbered. So we see here in verse 13, this is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. At this point, he says, this is going to be, you know, after we we look at this this ransom that's going on, we look at the um, remuneration of what it is that he's saying in verse 13. He says, this is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. Half a shekel according to the shekel of a sanctuary. A shekel is 20 geras. A half shekel, the half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. Now as we look to this, understand it it talks about what this shekel is. It talks about that you have this shekel. And in this, my Bible has it in parentheses, but it says a shekel is 20 geras. It's an understanding of what it is. Now, a gera, for the most part, scholars are trying to figure out exactly what it is. They find it to be some kind of a seed. Some actually talk it. They say it's the seed of a carob pod from the carob tree. 
And so it would be the weight of the silver that would be similar to the 20 seeds. And so that's what they talk about. The gera is just a weight measure. And the shekel is the, the, the total of what, you know, 20 seeds would weigh. And so understand that it, it, it does declare this. It says in verse 13, this is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. Half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. There is a standard in this atonement. In other words, it's not up for men to decide. There's an actual standard. And God says, okay, here's a weight, the weight of a shekel. And I want you to give half of that. You're going to give half of what that is. Now, I want to just share with you just one verse. Just jot it down if you're a note taker. But in Exodus chapter 38, verse 26, as you put it here, it says this. A becca for each man that is half a shekel according to the shekel of a sanctuary for everyone included in the numbering from 20 years old and above. So we see that this half shekel is called a becca. It's a half a shekel. So just keep in mind that here, that when you look to what this is, you have a shekel and the shekel is 20 geras, and I want you to understand this numbering because it's a half shekel. Now, when we look at the word half, we've looked at it before when we saw about a cubit and a half, the half means that it's broken, that the atonement comes through the breaking. And I think that's important because, you know, we recognize that our atonement came because the body of Jesus was broken. This is my body broken for you take, eat. And then through that, the blood was shed. And I want you to understand that this is such a beautiful reminder of what it is. So as he talks about this half shekel, half is a reminder that it's broken. And then the whole shekel is 20 geras. And so half of it would be 10 shekels. And 10, as we looked at the biblical, you know, numerology, 10 would be the same as the Ten Commandments. You're looking at human responsibility. And so within this, God says, I'm giving you, and I want a response from you as far as what I've done to redeem you. And you're going to find out that when you give this offering to God, that it becomes a memorial of what God has done to you and through you and how this memorial becomes a a perpetual thing. So it's absolutely amazingly that when you take a look at half of a shekel, you're looking at the number 10, 10 geras. And and, and so we we recognize that here they were to give. And, And I understand that. It says, then every man shall give. This is a response. This is an action. And so keep in mind that when God does save us, that we're redeemed and we're part of the church, he talks about, yeah, we've been saved with grace, that not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. It's a gift of God. But he goes on to say, yet yet we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. There's a point of the response to what we do as the redeemed. And so... Our response is twofold. 
Keep in mind that as we look at the Ten Commandments, we have a response as far as loving God and worshiping God. And then we have a response of loving our neighbor and really seeking to minister to them. And so that minister goes is, is both to God and both to men. And this is what he's pointing out, that part of this ministry of the tabernacle is God coming down, God's work, and also man's work, bringing other men closer to God. They were supposed to use this relationship that God had given to them to be a kingdom of priests, to bring all people in into a right relationship with God. This is where God had designed it initially. So understand that we're simply looking at a response to the atonement that was given by God. The response to the ransom that God was the one who delivered them out of Egypt. Now, it's also interesting, and I find it phenomenal as we go on, it says in verse 14, everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall not give more. The poor shall not give less than half a shekel. When you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. So understand that we see here that in verse 14, Everyone included. There's no exceptions that that you can't say, I'm not included of this. When you were of the age of adulthood, and of course that was the age of 20, you were already there, and at the age of 20 and above, if you are there, you're giving this offering to the Lord. But within this offering, I find it interesting that verse 15, the rich shall not give more, the poor shall not give less. So the rich can't say, well, here, I can offer more than that. No, you only offer what God prescribes. You can't do more than that. You have to be directed by God. And the poor man can't say, well, I don't have that. This is something that every man would be able to give. And so whether you have a lot or whether you have a little. And so we'll put it this way. When it says the rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less, put it this way, no matter how fruitful you are, your atonement is the same. And I think it's important to recognize that there's a vast difference in what we would consider the fruitfulness of different Christians, different ministries. There are some that they say, well, this is our fruit, and we say, well, we have this fruit. And so regardless of of how fruitful you are, the atonement is the same. And so I just, I love the heart of it, because no matter if you have a lot of fruitfulness, a little fruitfulness, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, everyone is identical to this. No matter what you have done or what you haven't done, in the, the light of fruitfulness, keep in mind that your atonement is the same as mine. And we recognize really all of the, the, the works that we do, we've been atoned by Jesus Christ. It's his blood. And, and so regardless of who you are or what you're doing for the kingdom, all of us have been purchased by the same cost. And so we're, we're not redeemed by our fruitfulness. We're not redeemed by how much we do. It's simply what God has done. I love what Paul has make, made a statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
just a beautiful understanding because he goes on to say, listen, it's by the grace of God that I am what I am. And it's through his grace. He says, and I've done more than all the other apostles, yet it wasn't I who did it, but the grace of God who was in me. And as he makes that statement, I think it's important to recognize that, that no matter what we do, no matter what Paul did, he realized it's God's grace. I, I don't have anything of my own. I'm not the one who does it. It's God who does it. So we have this shekel. It's a shekel of a sanctuary. It's a standard that God sets in atonement. It's not made up for man to decide. God is the one who understands it, who declares it. And then we see here, as we come into verse 15 and 16, now the very reason for the service of the tabernacle. In verse 15, it says, The rich shall not give more, the poor shall not give less than half a shekel when you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. You're recognizing that I have been redeemed, and this atonement, as we see, is a covering so that God says, you're going to do this so that I don't send this plague upon you. And it's this one simple act of recognizing that you're not going to go broken doing this, but it's simply a recognition that I am going to give this offering to the Lord. And as you give this offering to the Lord, keep in mind that as we see what's happening here is that there comes a point. Now, I want you to actually turn to Exodus chapter 38. I want to read to you just a few verses of what it is that's going to happen with this atoning um, half shekel that is there, that they're giving. In Exodus chapter 38, I want to start reading in verse 25. It says this, and I'm going to read down to verse 28. The silver from those who were numbered in the congregation was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. So we begin to see the weight and the measure of all of the silver. When every man who had given, we see that the weight of it literally began to be just this huge amount of silver. So the silver, again, verse 25, from those who were numbered in the congregation was 100 talents, 1,775 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A becca, we already talked about that, verse 26, for each man, that is, half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, for everyone included in the numbering from 20 years old and above, for 603,550 men. Now we understand that we see what's going on. Every man who was older than the age of 20, 603,550. So we understand that there's over half a million men that are over the age of 20. They all gave this, this half shekel. It turned into this amazing amount of silver. And then it says this in verse 27. And from the hundred talents of silver were cast the sockets of the sanctuary 
and the bases of the veil, 100 sockets from the 100 talents, one talent for each socket. Then one from the 1,700, or then from the 1,775 shekels, he made hooks for pillars, overlaid their capitals, and made bands for them. Absolutely amazing that we see that what God used these shekels to do was to make literally the sockets that would be under the boards that we had already covered when we were in Exodus chapter 26. Back up there to Exodus 26, and let me just read to you that, that portion, because it says in verse 19, you shall make 40 sockets of silver under the 20 boards, two sockets under each of the board for its two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle, the north side, there shall be 20 boards. And for th- and there 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the board. And for the far side of the tabernacle, westward, you shall make six boards. And you shall also make two boards for the two back corners of the tabernacle. And we recognize that every one of these boards, verse 25, so there shall be eight boards with their sockets of silver, 16 sockets, two sockets under each of the boards. Absolutely incredible that what we recognize is these, that their offering is going to be the basis of the foundation of the tabernacle. Every man who is of the redeemed says, my offering to God becomes the basis for the foundation on which the very tabernacle is placed upon. Now, when you think of what that is, now we understand the ministry of the people. Everything to recognize that our responses to the redemption that is is ours becomes this foundation of the work of Christ. Why? He uses us as these instruments. He uses us as these priests. He uses us as these witnesses to what he has done. And all we do is we're a part now of this incredible foundation and all the service that we do is therefore God coming in, the, in his glory, representing himself. And I think it's such a powerful thing to understand what begins to happen. And so in verse 16, he says, you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting. So understand that the service is going to be setting those sockets. Every man is going to be part of the sockets and part of the hooks from the very bottom to the very top. And as we look to that, what an incredible thing to, for a man to say, wow, as I look at the very foundation, I was a part of that. I, I was part of this obedience to God to help set the foundation of him coming and meeting with man. And so it makes a statement. He says, appointed for the service of the tabernacle of meeting that it may be a memorial to the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. Every man, when he comes to the tabernacle and he recognizes the foundation that it's set upon, now is a reminder that 
I have brought a part of me into this service. And I think, isn't that important when we look to the ministry that we do to the Lord? Whether it's the the ministry of the upper room or the ministry at Calvary Chapel, Milwaukee, when you say, I'm a part of this ministry, there is something that brings you to a place of ownership. There's something that brings you to a place of saying, wow, here I am. I'm a part of the work that God is doing. And it sets up as a reminder every time that you come and say, yeah, I'm a part of the work that God is doing. It sets up a reminder of, you know, Jesus, this is your work first and foremost. You're the one who redeemed me. You're the one who did the work. And so it's important that we too need to acknowledge what we and our responses are to the kingdom. When God calls us to speak, what is your response to the redemption that God did for you? And so as we look to this portion, it's just an incredible, incredible understanding of really what it is why God inserted it here, because now this is the people coming to minister. Yes, with the altar of incense, the priest came and he ministered, but now the people are all a part of this ministry as well. And they have this reminder every time they look at the foundation that I'm a part of this. And so may we look at the foundations of of just what Jesus has done in the church, how he establishes and he calls us living stones, that we're a part of it, a vibrant, needed part of what God is doing here to redeem the lost. Amen? Father, we are so grateful for who you are, how you work. This passage that you set before us, God, you are so, so faithful You put this here so that we could understand exactly who we are in your kingdom, who we are in your church, what we are as living stones. And so we ask that you would remind us, give us a reminder, Lord, that we are a part of what you're doing, that you choose to use us, and that the the, the standard that you do, you've redeemed us, you're the one that paid the price, you're the one that did the work, but we respond to it. We give you offerings, the offerings of ourself, that you could use us, use our lives to further your kingdom, to establish, Lord, your glory here on earth. So we just thank you for this word. Thank you for the time. We ask that you would be allow your spirit to transform our thinking and our lives and walking these truths out. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.